This is Allie Henney, and you're listening to Combing the Roots, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian collective. What do you do when you find out that skinfolk ain't kinfolk? Stay tuned. Hey, I am so happy that you're listening to this episode of Combing the Roots. This topic today is one that I find very difficult to talk about. It's one that I find very frustrating, even though I hate to admit that it frustrates me because I feel like it gives a lot of power to it. But it's something that I think that we don't always name, and I think that it's something that needs to be named. And that is when our skinfolk ain't kinfolk. Yes, there are Black people out here who do the work of white supremacy. It's a thing. We know it's a thing because we see it. There are Black celebrities who do it. There are Black pseudo-celebrities who have built their platform on doing the work of white supremacy. We have people in our circles who are Black who do the work of white supremacy. Well, what do I mean by doing the work of white supremacy? In case somehow you're like, maybe maybe you're confused. You won't be confused once I start naming it. You'll probably even start thinking of some celebrities that you're like, oh, oh, yeah, that person, that person is out here doing this. What I mean by black people who do the work of white supremacy is I mean black people who do not accept or who reject or who find themselves wanting to position themselves in a contrary position to our general cultural narrative that racism exists and that black people experience racism and that we have had a struggle in the past, and that we continue to struggle, and that we will continue to struggle unless white people change their ways. I think that most white people, most black people rather, accept this idea. Most of us get it. Like we, we know, we have experienced it. We have experiences that we can name, that we can say, this was racist. This was racism. You've been called the N-word. You have been discriminated against whenever you've gone to the store. You've been followed around. You've been, you've experienced all sorts of different things. I think that most of us would say that that's true. Unfortunately, there is a cadre, and I call it a cadre, but it's not like that there's, I don't think that there's a club. I don't think that there's like a group or something that they all go to and are like, oh yeah, we're, we're blind to racism, but it's a, but it's a thing. Um, some of us would call it being in the sunken place. And I think that saying being in the sunken place, that's if you've seen the movie Get Out, then you know what I'm talking about. Like, like I think that that's an adequate description of it. But really what it is for me is it's more than just being in the sunken place. Is it's doing the work of white supremacy. That there are, that there are black people out there who by their words, by their action, or even sometimes by their inaction, they they uphold white supremacy. And so they uphold these things like respectability politics. So they say, well, black people, this black kid wouldn't have gotten shot if he had been dressed properly. Or, well, black people would experience this, or they would get better jobs, or they would this and that if they could speak standard English. Or all the very various permutations of that of that argument. Well, if black people just if, if they if they would pull up their pants, if they would get an education, if they would whatever, and it's this whole idea that that black people need to somehow make themselves better people, and then they wouldn't experience racism. There are black people who uphold that, who sing that song, who who carry that narrative. There are black people out there who say, well, I've never experienced racism. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never had these experiences. There are black people even that, that know what we're talking about. And I've experienced this one a lot, that there are black people that, that know that racism is a thing. Yet they will sort of, they'll, they'll, they'll ask these questions. And I'm not against asking questions. Like asking questions is good. It's right. It's proper. 
but they but they know that it's a thing and they know what the anti-racist talking points are but they want to position themselves in a way that that shows well I'm not one of those black people because they 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 have this idea that those of us who are out here doing anti-racism work that that we're somehow that we that we that we want something that we that we want a handout that we're that we are overly sensitive that we're stuff like basically they've bought into the narratives of the dominant culture. They've, they've bought into the things that the dominant culture says about us. And so they want to show themselves not to be one of those kind of black people. So they'll come into spaces and they'll ask, they'll ask these kind of leading questions. I've had this happen in my Twitter numerous times. And it's usually a black man. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm not trying to diss black men, but a lot of times it's a black man. Even though there are black women who do this also, who have platforms built on this, but I'm not out here naming any names. I'm just saying. But usually in my, in my sphere, for whatever reason, is black men that will pop out the woodwork and will ask these questions. And it's like, you are, you know exactly what you're asking. You know exactly what you're saying. And you want to position yourself for all of your friends out here. You want to show out because you know how that is sometimes. Like there's sometimes like black people get around there. There are, there's a certain demographic of black people. I mean, I'm saying this is a demographic. I don't know if it's a, if it's a demographic or not, but there are certain black folks that will get around white people and want to show out. They want to cut up. They want to show that they aren't like all these others out here. And so I've had this happen in my Twitter mentions before where somebody will come up and they will come into my Twitter mentions. They will slide into my mentions and they'll be like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what's this and this and this and this? And it's like, look, I know why you're here. You need to put some lotion on because you ashy. I know exactly why you're here. You're here because you're stunting and fronting for all your little friends over here. I know what's up. I have your number. But anyway, there are black people that are out there that do this. And it's, and it's so, and the reason why it's frustrating to me and the reason why it's disheartening and the reason why I even hesitate, like I'm, like I'm do I'm recording this and I don't even know if I'm even going to put this out here. So if you're hearing this, know that I, that I've thought about it and reflected on it. And I'm like, well, maybe, and there wasn't like a better episode. I'm like, well, you know what I need? And I, and I decide that I, that I need to put this out here because I even hesitate to talk about it because I feel like it gives these people power. But I feel like that if we don't talk about it, I feel like that it's, that it's like a persistent headache. You can have a persistent headache and it could not be anything. It could just be, you just have a persistent headache. Maybe you need to eat. Maybe you need to sleep. Maybe whatever. Or you could be having a persistent headache and it could be brain cancer. And so for me, the persistent headache is these contrary black people who are out here who are trying to position themselves to, to make money. I don't even know. I'm not even, I'm even going to be, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to say, well, they out here trying to make money. I'm not going to be like that. I, I understand some of the why, and I'm going to get to some of the why that I think that this happens in the next segment. But I'm just speaking to the issue right now that there are black people that are out here that are doing the work of white supremacy. And I think that if we continue to ignore, because I think that that for me, I hesitate, I won't even speak for all of us, but I think that I hesitate to talk about it because I don't want to give certain people power, because I don't want to give certain people credence. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to engage with their ideas because their ideas suck, because I think that their ideas their if their their ideas could easily be dispelled and debunked just by reading a book. And so to say to to do a whole podcast saying, "Hey, this is an issue. Black people doing the work of white supremacy is an issue." I feel like that it calls unnecessary attention to it. And so then by calling unnecessary attention to it, then it gives those people space 
it, 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 like like it's taking up our time to talk about them. But I feel like that if we don't talk about them, they're like the persistent headache that could just be a persistent headache, but it could also be cancer. It could also be brain cancer. And so I feel like that if we don't talk about this persistent headache, and if we don't have strategies, if we don't have ideas, if we don't understand what the root system of this is, then we run the risk. We could we could be having this could be a cancer in the black community. This could be a cancer in the anti-racism movement that we're that we're not appreciating, that we're not appraising and saying, okay, this is a thing, let's treat it. And so I want to talk about it because I think that it needs to be talked about, because I think that if we're able to name it, then we are able to remedy it. If we can't name it, if we if we just say, well, it's this nondescript ailment or it's this thing that, yeah, it's bothering us. Yeah, it's, it's annoying or whatever. We could be failing to name something that could be a problem. Now, I don't think that these people somehow are going to undo completely and utterly the work of anti-racism. I don't think that they're somehow going to like get legislation reversed and that they're somehow going to going to do something on a big micro micro macro cosmic scale. I just don't think that that's possible. But at the same time, I see where they are allowing and empowering our oppressors to oppress us. And I think that oppression that comes from any sphere, that comes from any person, isn't okay. And so I think that we have to speak to this issue. So that way, if we can speak to it, and if we know what it is, we can collect our own people. So then maybe there'll be some ignorant person, ignorant white person out there, that there's one less voice for them to hear. And there's one less person out there for them to for them to hold up and tokenize and use them to abuse black people. And I think that that is probably my biggest issue with all of this, with all these black people out here who are building up platforms, who are who are speaking, who are celebrities who are speaking into this, even people that are just that they're just regular folk who are in Facebook comments, who are in Facebook groups, who are in who are on Twitter, who who are just who we interact with in the black community and who interact with the people who we go to church with or who interact with people in in the general community i think that that, that for me the, the biggest problem is that the biggest issue for me in this is that these people then have the ability to to be held up and to be tokenized and to be and to be elevated as some sort of example or as some sort of voice or as some sort of whatever so that's that's my biggest issue with it and that's why i want to speak to it so in the next segment i'm going to talk about why i think this happens So why is it that skin folk ain't always kin folk? Well, I think that there's a lot of reasons for this. I think that I could probably, well, I am, I guess, taking a whole podcast to talk about this. But I think that the why, that talking about the why, I could teach lectures, three-hour lectures on this because it is such a complex issue. There are so many layers to this that I'm not going to be able to unpack all of those layers. I'm not going to be able to uncover all those layers in this podcast, but trust me that they exist. You know that they exist. Maybe, hopefully, you'll be able to see more why they exist and how they exist so that you'll be able to help people in your community. But anyway, so why ain't skin folk always skin folk? 
that is so complex. Like I said, I think that that one of the biggest reasons is white adjacency. I think that it's that it's. I think I don't want to sit here and talk about whiteness, but I guess that that, that this is a time whenever we have to talk about whiteness. So, white supremacy, white normativity, and white adjacency. These three things. So, white supremacy, basically, like. Everybody being like, well, whiteness is superior. Whiteness is, that's, that's, our, that's our cultural mantra, is that whiteness is superior. Now, we don't say it that way, but that's what it is. White is right. That's what white supremacy is. So then white normativity is like, well, whiteness is normal. This is what's normal. So if you're, so if you're not doing the thing that whiteness says that you should be doing, that white supremacy says that you should be doing, then you're not normal and there's something wrong with you. And so then white adjacency being being just just near white people and 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 in contexts where you are surrounded by white people without without a strong black cultural influence those three things i think go hand in hand to produce black people who are skin folk but aren't kin folk and what i'm and i think that, that in order to say what i'm saying let me say what i'm not saying I'm not trying to rate people's blackness and say, well, if you are in this context with this like critical mass level of blackness, then somehow you are blacker or or thereby better than somebody who is in a context where there are no black people. I'm it's not a value statement that I'm that I'm trying to make here. I'm not trying to do any type of oppression olympics or any type of or any type of of blackness where well this person's more black than this person. None of that's helpful and I'm not trying to be on that. But what I'm saying in, in bringing whiteness into the picture is that I think that we, that something that, that we need to, need to get a grip of is that whiteness is just, is, is this, this, this specter that, that looms over us, that, that looms over our communities. And I think that, that we are able, that, that for the most part, we are able to to live under that specter a little bit or, or better. And I would want to say that we want to, that we live under the, uh, that we live under the specter. But I think that for the most part, we are able to push that specter away and we're able to say, we're able to, to claim our blackness. We're able to, to live into our blackness. I, I, I think that, that, that for the most part, we're able to do that. But for all of us, that we, we wrestle with internalized white supremacy. We wrestle with internalized racism. I don't know how we couldn't whenever we live in a country that is founded on that very thing, is founded on white supremacy, is based in white normativity, is based in all in, in this toxic whiteness. And so I don't know how we could exist in this country as a people for four decades, for four centuries rather, and not come out from that unscathed. Like it's just, it's just impossible. And so we have been influenced by whiteness and we have been influenced by white supremacy. And because of that influence of white supremacy, we have to do the work of recognizing that in ourselves and recognizing that in our community and rooting the white supremacy out of ourselves. Well, whenever people are extremely white adjacent, they don't have that pressure to to remove the white supremacy from themselves. Whenever they're extremely white adjacent, and and what I mean by that, even because I, because I'm a person, like I, I've said it, I said it in in my in my original episode, my first episode, my, my my secret origins. I talked about how I came up in a rural context, but I came up in a rural context that was that was full of white people, ninety odd percent plus odd percent 
white people, but I came up in a home where blackness was celebrated, where being black was celebrated, where we celebrated our culture, where my mom did well to teach me about, was intentional in teaching me about our culture and intentional in, in helping me to understand racism and helping me to understand how racism works. And so I was even in a context that was predominantly white. I still had a sense of myself and still had some language to be able to put to my experience and to be able to, to, to name my experience and to be able to understand okay, well, I, I don't have to be like the people who I see in authority. I don't have to, I don't have to be like them culturally. I have a different culture. I have a different heritage. And my heritage is just as important. It's just as valid as their, as their culture and as their heritage. And so whenever people don't have those mediating voices, Whenever people don't have those voices that are telling them that, 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 that blackness is, is good and that, and that, and teaching them about black culture and teaching them black history, whatever, that what you, you're adjacent to whiteness and what you're hearing is white supremacy and white normativity. It becomes a thing that you're able to, that, 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 that if there's not, in the absence of, of a strong black identity, white supremacy starts to take over. White normativity starts to take over. And so it's not even about how many black or white people that you're even around, even, I don't think. I think that there are black people who have intentionally distanced themselves from blackness because they have bought the lie of white supremacy. They, they, have, they have been sold a bill of goods about white supremacy and about our culture. And so they distance themselves from our culture because it gives them success. It gives them the perception of success. It gives them social mobility. It gives them all of these different things. And so there are people that distance themselves from the Black community, that distance themselves from the Black experience. And so then as they distance themselves from that, then it leaves, then, then well, they, 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 they start to accept white culture. They start to accept white normativity and white supremacy because, because they start to accept the premise that, that white is right. And I think that, that we see this, that this happens. It's, it's even how this happens. There's, I could going into the how, not just the why, but going into the how it happens. I think that even the how of it is important because there are people that, that have done this intentionally. Um, there, there are black people who become celebrities. It doesn't even have to be becoming a celebrity. It can become becoming affluent in any, in any type of way, or, or they perceive themselves to be affluent in any type of way. And they, they see, well, the, the, I'm, I'm successful because of who I am. And so I'm going to try to be more like the people who are successful. And it just, it becomes this whole, this whole thing where they, where they separate themselves then because they, because they start to associate blackness with poverty or they say they start to associate blackness with the lack of education. They start to, they start to associate blackness with, with all these negative things and they start to associate whiteness with brightness. And so they pull, they pull themselves away. And then sometimes the people who, who experience this, people who are, who are the ones who are upholding white supremacy, they might be the children of some of those people who, who intentionally left black culture. And so who intentionally left the black community. They might be the children of that. 
or they might be in a cadre. They might be somebody that, that it might even be based on location, may, might be based on where, where they live, that they're around a bunch of people who have made this decision to distance themselves from blackness. And so you grow up in that, you grow up in that situation or you, you move to the suburbs, you move even to like the black suburbs and, and, there's, and there's respectability politics and there's all these different things that sort of, that sort of play in where there's a vying for, for whiteness. And it might not be articulated that way, but that is what is happening. Because in the absence of a strong black identity, white supremacy is allowed to take, to take hold. And I'll even go as far as to say is that white supremacy, that, that whiteness exists because there's a lack of cultural identity even among white people, but that is that is a whole different that that isn't even like a different episode of a podcast. That's like a whole different like podcast with a whole different topic with a whole different whatever to unpack that. I'm not going to unpack that here. I'm just saying that the, uh, one of the reasons why I think that, that exists, and so I think that that it also exists not just because of of a person necessarily being being steeped in whiteness and not and not knowing, but like I said, I think that that something that we have to acknowledge is that there are people who have left, who quote unquote have, have left the black culture, who've left the black community, who, who have tried to make a name for themselves. And this doesn't have to, I'm not talking on it at a celebrity level. I'm talking at a like regular person level, a regular non-celebrity person level. There are people who have, who have left our community on purpose, who leave our community on purpose, and they because they don't want to be associated with blackness. And so then they so then in order to curry favor with the people who are in their context, they have to actively reject their blackness and have to actively reject anything associated with their blackness in order to maintain success in order to maintain credibility in their circles. But then there are also people who are just who it's sort of a, a passive thing. Maybe a person, they, they grow up in a context where there weren't many black people and maybe their parents fall into, into, that, into that, that, that earlier category that I talked about. And so they just don't have a strong sense of black identity. They just don't have a strong sense of black community. Maybe, they're, maybe they have black community even around them, but respectability, politics, classism, a whole bunch of other things kind of can come into play there that removes people from blackness. And so that's why I say, that's why I say that white supremacy, that, that white normativity and that white adjacency, I think are, are the whys to this. Uh, that underscores some of the why that, that this is a thing is because people have internalized racism. They have internalized white supremacy. They believe the hype. They believe the narrative. They believe all the negative things. And so because they believe all the negative things, it benefits them. The circles that they run in, the places that they work, the places that they worship, the people who they are friends with, it benefits them. Whether it's, whether it, and it doesn't have to be monetarily, it can benefit them psychologically. Because think about that. Think about you're around whiteness. You're surrounded by whiteness. And as soon as you start to say something about about racism, or as soon as you start to say, well, maybe this might be a thing, you have everybody telling you that it's not. And if you've been gaslit like your whole life to believe that white is right and to and to and to need white approval and to see black people as somehow being being wrong or being inferior or being whatever, and the, and this is stuff y'all know it ain't it ain't like people are just saying this out loud, but it's what it's what it is. It's what's happening. 
And so if you've been if you've been schooled your whole entire life to believe a certain way and to into into cow whenever whenever white people speak up and whenever white people start to say because because I can speak from my from my own experience where even though I grew up in a in a black home and with a strong sense of black identity being in places and spaces where white normativity was a thing as soon as I started to speak about speak out about racism and certain people started to say things to me it was like I, I felt like a, like a sense of like, like, like it was almost like a, like, like, like having cold water poured on you where you're like, and you breathe in and you're like, oh my goodness, like these white people are upset. And for me, because for me and for my, for my context where you're outnumbered, like you are just are outnumbered. So if white fragility starts popping off, if people start getting upset, if people start whatever, you are outnumbered. And it can be a scary thing whenever you're outnumbered and people start to get upset and people start to start to get at you. It, it, it can, and, and as I, I realized, something that I had to realize is even from, from being a young person where I realized that I was just socialized to just, to just care for white people's feelings because, oh my goodness, white people, like if they get upset and if they're upset about this, then they're going to think something and then it could, and then this could be something bad to me. So I, so I, I felt like that I was socialized in a lot of ways to start attending to white people's feelings and to start automatically a white person gets upset. Oh my goodness. I got to start, I got to start attending to their feelings. I got to start making them, making them feel better about themselves. And so I, so I, it took me some time to realize, hold on a second, that's, that's what I'm doing. And so I, I had to say, I had to break myself from that, even though I was still like speaking my truth, I had to break myself from being like, let me attend to white people's feelings because it's, it's not about white people's feelings, but white people, white normativity, it's so insidious that it will make black people think that white people's feelings, that white people's perceptions, that their thoughts of you is more important than black dignity. And that's just not the case. That's just not the truth. And even if you know it, even if you know it deep down in yourself, it's just the social conditioning sometimes that you have to break. For me, it was more breaking social conditioning than it was having to change my beliefs. But there are people, there are black people out there that that is their belief system. Now they wouldn't be able to name it for you that way, but that is like what they believe. That is how they they, they see that they, they 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 elevate white feelings, they elevate white opinion because they see black opinion, they see they see black experience as somehow being inferior, or that somehow it's complaining, that somehow it's ungrateful. It's sort of like, well, you know, but they but they let us live out here. They let they let us you know they they giving us food and drink, so it can't be that bad. And so it's, so it's like that sort of, it's that sort of oppressed mentality that, that I think it gives the, the, the basis, it gives the foundation for black people to enact white supremacy because they're believing a whole bunch of lies about themselves. They're believing a whole bunch of lies about black culture, about blackness. And so where, where they're believing those lies, they want to, they, they think that, that whiteness is the truth. And so, and so they want to uphold the truth of whiteness. Because in some cases, they don't know any better because that's all they know, because that's all they've been taught. And in some cases, they know better, like they like they've had a different experience of black of white people, rather, they've had a, a different life, a different a different set of experiences that would tell them something. But it is the, the power. And I think that it's that it's the power, that it's the credibility that sometimes for, for sometimes for some people, it's the money, it's the accolades, it's the comfort that comes with 
ignoring the black experience and being accepted into whiteness, that's the motivator. So I think that that's the reason why, why, why all skin folk ain't kin folk. But in the next segment, I wanna talk about what we can do about it. some time to talk about what we need to do about skin folk who ain't kin folk. Because for real, we need to collect our people. Now, I admit, and I said this earlier in the podcast, that by talking about this issue, I feel like it gives it way more credence than it deserves. Yet at the same time, I'm concerned that if we don't name this thing, and that if we don't name it and don't call it out and don't have some ideas about what we need to do about it, that we could potentially put ourselves in the position where we are dealing with a much bigger problem later down the line. So for me, this is more of a let's nip this in the bud type of issue. And so I think that there are some things that we can do to preempt these folks and to preempt this issue in our community. And I also want to offer a few things I think that we can do about this, about the people who already exist. So I think that the biggest thing that we need to do is we need to teach our people. Just because you're black doesn't mean that you know about race. Now, I think that being black and having the black experience, that it definitely puts us, it puts us ahead. It, and I say ahead. I mean, what, what are we, what are we ahead of? Like oppression, what? But I think that, that we, that in being able to have these race discussions, I think that our lived experience, our communal experience, our collective experience, as it were, I think that it does give us a leg up in being able to have these conversations. But our experience alone isn't enough to be able to be articulate on this issue. It's not enough to be able to, to speak truth to power, just saying like, well, well, I've had this experience. Our experiences are so important. But what I mean is, is that we're not going to, if we don't have a, a, racial, a racial lexicon, if we don't have the ability to be able to pull out concepts and to be able to talk about it, and you don't, and you don't have to talk about it at the level that I talk about. I don't really even talk about it at any kind of level, I don't think. But I don't think that you have to be like, well, you have to be like a, an encyclopedia. You don't have to be like somebody who's like, well, I can, I can speak about all these different books and, and pull in this person, and Cone said this, and James Baldwin said that, and and Cornell West said this. You don't have to be an academic about it, but just being able to to talk about the issue. So I think that we have to teach our people. I think that we have to make our churches, we have to make our community spaces a place for people to be able to teach on this issue and to learn on this issue and to exchange ideas and to listen to one another's experiences and to help ourselves to be able to develop language and to be able to communicate about these issues even in some of the same ways. I think that that's helpful. I'm always, I'm a big proponent of having language that is similar and everybody, if everybody's using similar language to describe something, I think that that, that, that often will help people to understand concepts if we are all using similar language, but that's a whole different thing. But I think that just being in the place where we're able to impart knowledge to our people. And that even starts in the home. It starts in a black home. People who have black children, 
You need to be speaking to your culture. You need to be imparting your culture to your kids. I think that is so important. We can't just run away from blackness. And we don't have to be weird about it. Like sometimes I think that the people can get like super performative with blackness and it's like, oh, let's get, let's like, like this has to be black and like this is super black and like whatever. And I, and I understand why we do that sometimes. But I don't think that we have to make black culture this monolith and well, you're not black if you don't, or, or well, this is blacker than this. And I don't think that we have to do that necessarily. I just think that we need to teach our children about our history, about our struggle, about our, about our things, about, about the things that are, that are ours and the things that maybe other people share in or appropriate and, and share about why those are our things and, and where they came from. I think that that, that that goes such a long way. I think that also, not only do we have to teach our people, we have to collect our people. Now, this one gets a little bit tricky. I think the collecting our people does get a little bit dicey because I'm a big proponent of Black people being united, us being united, even though we're not monolithic. I think that it's so important that we're united. And I don't, and there are some conversations that I just don't think that we, that we need to like have in public, like where, where Black people are like, where, where, you know, like, like where you're doing the opposite of the people who are cutting up where you're like, okay, well here, let me, let me like collect you in public in front of all these white people. Like, I don't think that, that we have to do that. I think that, that we, that sometimes a black person might be acting up and you might need to like pull somebody aside and be like, you know, Hey, like we're, we're not doing that right now. Um, I think that, that we need to have those conversations where like you go into, like going into a situation, like I've been in situations, for instance, where, where I've been, where there've been other black people, but we're still a minority and we might disagree behind the scenes about something. But whenever we go into public, where there's into, into the white public, we, we present a united front. And so like, there's been times whenever there might be an issue that maybe is more important to my friend than it's more than it is to me. And so I might still disagree with them on that, that I'm going to be like, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be here saying back up. And even be singing back up, but I don't really disagree. I don't, I don't really agree with all this, but I'm still here singing back up. And so I think that is so important that we have to sing back up for one another, that we have to, that even if we don't necessarily agree with everything that somebody has to say or agree with everything that somebody stands for, just being able to, pre- just being able to present blackness as itself. Because I think that we present blackness as itself. We can, we can present all the contours and stuff too. So I think that there are times whenever we have to say to our people, whenever somebody, whenever somebody kind of, kind of starts to, to, to jump out a little bit where we kind of say, okay, hey, pull it in a little bit. Like we, we can't confuse the white people. We can't, we can't have white people being confused. Because it's gonna because it's gonna have more implications than 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 that, and that's and have that I could go into that more, but I don't have the time to. So I think that collecting our people is important. It's important for us. And whenever I say presenting a united front, I don't mean like we're out here. We're, I don't mean that we're out here being false. Like like it's not there's not falsehood in that. But it's doing for me collecting our people means doing what is the best for the common good. And that actually brings me to the next thing that I think that we need to do is to recognize what is going to benefit black people as a whole. I think that's something that has gotten into our culture is that we have started to adopt a little bit of that white individualism a little bit. And so, and I think that really that's even what that, what that contrarianism is that you see among some of these people who do the work of white supremacy is that, is that they want to be their own little unique special snowflake. And so they can corner the market on being the unique black person person in their little white context and so they want to do that because it's beneficial for them in some way 
And so I think that, that we're that we're starting to, to kind of get away from this a little bit as a culture where we have a where, where it's not we're monolithic, but having a collective identity and having a collective consciousness consciousness. And so I think that that we need to that we need to have that and that we need to protect that. And so and so kind of bringing people in, it's not presenting blackness as a monolith, it is not presenting a falsehood of blackness, but it is helping us to maintain our collective identity, because that is how we succeed is through a collective identity It's not us individuals out here trying to grab for ourselves and trying to do for ourselves. Because that's not how that that's that's just not how black people work that's not how blackness works it's not very often that I say that but that is not how blackness works whenever one person wins we all win whenever one person succeeds we all succeed and so also whenever one person does something wrong and messes stuff up it messes stuff up for the rest of us too and so I think that we have to lean into our collective identity so teaching our people leaning into our collective identity and in leaning into that collective identity, collecting our people whenever they come off base. Those are some of the basic ways that I think that we can, that we can help this problem in our culture. And I think that in terms of interacting with some of those people, some of them celebrities, some of those people, some of them pseudo celebrities, some of them wannabes, some of those people in our circles that are already out here, they've already drunk the whiteness Kool-Aid. They don't care. I don't think that we have, like, I don't think that we sit and we, and we debate with them. That might sound counter to everything else that I've said in like these last 30 minutes, but I don't think that we sit and have, we don't have to have like these massive major debates with, with these people who disagree with us. And we don't have to say, well, that person doesn't represent us. I don't think that we have to, I don't think we have to do that. I think that basically it's like, just ignore them and leave them to whiteness, leave them to, to, to bask and to, and to baste and to bake and to whatever it is in that, that, that marinate, whatever it is that they do in whiteness, just, let's just leave them to that. And whatever people come, well, well, well what about this? What well, I don't even like, I don't pull the Mariah Carey. I don't know her. That's, and so that's what I think that we need to do. Whatever skin folk and can folk. So I'm not saying that my thoughts are the best thoughts on this. I'm not even saying that they're the most well-formed thoughts on it, but that's what I have. So I'm sharing it. Combing the Roots is powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. Special thanks to executive producers Tyler Burns and Bo York. Catch up with what I'm doing on these internet streets by visiting AllieHenny.com. There you'll be able to connect to my Twitter feed, my Instagram, and my Facebook writers page. I'm your host, Allie Henny. Peace.